You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Have a great day. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is X-Factor, episode 7B, covering a period of X-Factor from 1992. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your X-Factor host, Jared Abrahamson. And Jared, what issues are we going to be talking about today? We will be talking about X-Factor number uh, 77 through 83, and also the annual number 7. That's right. So this is the back half of the X-Factor Epic Collection, Volume 7, All New, All Different X-Factor. Uh, we started that in the last episode, covered the genesis of this brand new team of mutants, and followed their adventures, especially with the Hulk crossover. And now we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction and talk about the last issues that are in this book here. Uh, this is all of the stuff leading up to the multi-title crossover called Executioner's Song. So just before we start, I want to make a little correction. Last time, we, we I was kind of giving a rundown of the history of X-Factor, uh, and I was talking about the original team with like Cyclops and Marvel Girl, Iceman, you know, all of them. And they were, I said that they were a government-funded group. They were, um, and then you corrected me saying, you know, that they were posing as mutant hunters. But yeah, I just want to make that clear that they were not a, the government-funded group. The government-funded group was Freedom Force. Right. That yeah. was the one that Val Cooper was heading up. And just before this book, this epic collection starts, Freedom Force disbands and X-Factor, this team right here, takes Freedom Force's place as the government-funded group of mutants. So that, uh, right. yeah, in case I, I, I can't remember if I made myself that clear last time or, uh, you know, if people were confused about that, but just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, especially because we meet some of the Freedom Force characters in this book, and so they have a little bit of a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a there's a little connection there that uh, that needs to be explained. I think. Yeah, yeah. Freedom Force, like their last mission is uh, in the annual number six of X Factor. I mean, but it, it's like multi-part and it splits across the. Uh, three different annual, like New Mutants and the X Men annual that year. Right. What that one is called? Um, Kings of Pain. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But the Freedom Force story is is like a backup, but it's it's still sp- split across all three of those. We get a little bit of hints of Executioner's song kind of starting in this volume. Like we meet some of the major players that are going to be pulling the strings in Executioner's Song. And I I didn't realize, um, because I've never read these issues leading up to it, I, I, I didn't realize how much of a lead-in we get. Like, several issues before the, the story actually starts, they're starting to lay the seeds of what's going to what's gonna happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little more than you would think. Well, I didn't realize that X-Factor played such a big role. I kind of like, you know, it's, a, it's definitely an X-Men story. It's definitely an X-Force right. story. And I figured they just kind of threw an X-Factor because they were the other X-Book at the time. 
but uh, but yeah, this, there's a there's a lot of lead up that has to do with the characters here. So uh, excited to see how that plays out when we get to those issues in the next episode. Uh, okay, so I have some listener comments. I know we did some listener comments last time, but this is a pretty popular book, and so I've had some people comment since the last time we recorded our episode. So I'm going to read off some comments here. These are from Facebook. Eric says, I started reading X-Men because of the cartoon and because of Jim Lee, but I stayed because of X-Factor. Issue 71 just happened to be the first issue of X-Factor I ever read. Despite not knowing any of the characters previously, I loved them all immediately. I felt sorry for rain polaris was striking alex had uh, the coolest powers strong guy was hilarious and madrox was annoyingly lovable i was also enamored with stroman quesada and jay lee's art their versions of the 90s art style seem to be a bit more stylized and unique than their brethren of course peter david's writing brought it all together even though i had no prior knowledge of these characters or their situations i was able to connect quickly to them and understand what was going on this run cemented my lifelong love of comics yeah yep i like his comment though about the artwork because it is quite a bit more stylized all of those people that he just that he that he uh, listed off there stroman quesada and jay lee very yeah. stylized artists, all of them. And they're kind of right. tucked in this little corner of X Factor, which is like uh, the the odd duck in the X books at the time. Right, right. Over on Instagram, thumbs up 1981 says, I was pleasantly surprised when I started reading uh, to follow Havoc and Polaris and ended up liking the entire team. I feel that this is some of the best character growth in the, in the early 90s comics. Characters who were previously <laughs> side characters were given full robust personalities. It's a great example of why I love comics long-form storytelling. Also, the long gag GCs is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about the GCs. I think it's a it's a gag that gets played out pretty quick. And uh, right. <laughs> I'm sure we'll bring it up in the conversation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, one last comment here. Tommy Loves Stuff over on Twitter says, Great read. Peter David takes a bunch of B and C level popular mutants and makes them a team you want to read each month takes a snob like Quicksilver and in one therapy-centric issue makes him somewhat relatable. And also, Multiple Man <laughs> is a personal favorite. Yeah. Okay, basic comments. Thank you very much for taking the time to to let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for all of our social media when I ask for the next round of comments because I'm always interested to hear what you out there think of the stuff that we're reading. Okay, onward and upward, we are going to go into our issues here. We're going to start with X-Factor number 77. This one is called Great Expectations. That's a X pun that I think is used so many times. There's probably many right. different titles. <laughs> but this this <laughs> yeah. this issue is very interesting. I It raises an in, a very interesting topic indeed. So there's a doctor who has figured out a way to... Uh, to isolate the X gene while while the baby is still in utero in order to let the parents know uh, ahead of time before the birth whether or not there's potential that their child is going to be a mutant. It's not a 100% sure test, but it's good enough that um, people seem to want to know. 
and uh, and then the the nasty boys are are tasked with the mission to you know kill this doctor so that nobody's going to abort any mutant babies yeah it, it uh not not the nasty boys it's the mutant liberation force right yes it's the mutant liberation force but they're also the nasty boys are also in this issue right well they're um you know they were they were captured back in issue 75 and the mutant liberation force uh, break into their uh, prison and set them free. Yeah, the Mutant Liberation Front. Front, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of p- characters at play here. So the, the Mutant Liberation Front is headed up by Strife, a character who is kind of brand new to the scene here. And then the Nasty Boys are headed up by this mysterious Mr. S. Right. And yeah, so everybody, and then there's X Factor as well. So everybody kind of fights. There's a big, big fight scene. But that's not the most important part about this issue. I think that the really interesting thing about this story here is right at the very beginning, the very first page where a a couple who's expecting go to this doctor in order to find out if their baby has the potential to be a mutant. And the doctor says, yes, there is potential. The test came back positive. And they are really considering whether or not they should abort their baby. And man, we talk about comics being political, right? This is a hot button topic, uh, abortion. (laughs) And it's, um, you know, where do you stand on this? Like, should parents be informed? And this is an allegory, right? It's an allegory for like, what if your child has Down syndrome or fetal alcohol syndrome or something like that, and you know ahead of time that this baby has the potential to to be different? Do you, and you don't want to deal with that, is is aborting the baby okay? Uh, you know, should parents have the choice? And like, there's, you know, both sides of the argument are represented in this issue here. Um, of course, X Factor and all of the mutants here feel strongly about not aborting the baby because it's a mutant, because of course they are mutants and they see their their mutations as gifts and something that should be celebrated, whereas humans don't see it that way. So, yeah, yeah, very interesting commentary, um, and it's, yeah, I don't know, hard to wrap your mind around it. Yeah. Every situation kind of needs to be taken in, into account. Um, all, every yeah. every pregnancy is different, and, um, you know, right. there's, there's different circumstances regarding each one of them. Um, I mean, the fact that in this comic here, we don't even know what the mutant ability would be. Like, it could be yeah. as hidden as, you know, Havoc can lead a totally normal life looking completely normal and his power set is under control. Um, The thing that really, I think, drives the point home here is that we have the conversation with the couple where they're agonizing over this decision. And then you turn in the very next page is the ugly mutated face of one of the nasty boys. Yeah. What's this guy's name? Hairbag. Hairbag, (laughs) So it's definitely like that's where their mind goes is that they're going to have a hideously deformed child and they don't want to Mm -hmm. like probably for their own their own sake. They don't want to deal with that. Right. Which is maybe not the best reason to to abort a child. I don't know. This <laughs> uh <laughs> at the risk of getting too too in in the weeds with this conversation, it's just uh I think it's it's definitely the focus of this issue and it's something that Peter David is definitely talking about. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, you, we kind of have to address it in our conversation here. But Right, you know. right. And also it goes to show you that how comics have always been political. You know, it's not a new thing. Nope, nope, not at all. And, and it, was, it was not a new thing in uh, 91, 92 when this came out. 
Yeah, well, and it wasn't an, it wasn't a new thing even going back to the '60s and before that. It, they've all there have always been yeah. elements of real world situations in comics throughout the years. That's just kind of the way it is. It's always that way. Yeah, yeah. This issue also has the return of Vic. What's this guy's name? Vic Chalker, <laughs> Professor Vic, Vic Chalker. Chalker yes. <laughs> And this is his last appearance, actually. So the, this running gag of this professor who's trying to build the deadliest exoskeleton and failing meets his demise because he goes out and then it starts to rain and his suit isn't sealed properly. So he basically elect electrocutes himself. <laughs> it's just bizarre. And then right. even more bizarre is like Cannonball from X-Force just happens to be zooming by when he sees the the you know the statue with the corpse inside it, and he just thinks it's a weird statue, <laughs> yeah. so strange. Yeah. Oh, it, it's delightful. <laughs> it is delightful. Yeah, it is. It's so funny. And then the story doesn't even stop there, as we'll see if a few issues later. Do you want yeah. to talk about Cannonball's appearance in this issue? Yeah, Cannonball shows up basically to get Rain to rejoin, or well, to join X Force to come with him. Because, you know, they were new mutants together, but she had run off before X-Force was formed. But she says she's happy where she's at. She doesn't want to leave Alex. Yeah. yeah. And and also, at this time, X-Force are wanted. So Polaris tries to, to capture him, but then they... Rain talks her out of it, and yeah, and then Havoc shows up and also wants to, to capture him, but he, he takes off. And this is where I think a lot of the setting the seeds for Executioner's Song kind of start. Mm -hmm. uh, not only do we see the mutant liberation front in this issue and a little glimpse at Strife, but Cannonball's presence here really drives home what X-Factor and X-Men's opinions are on X-Force. Like, they just don't like X-Force. Right. They think they're bad news, of course, because they're wanted, yeah, but yeah. also, like, their methods are terrible. And Right, yeah. Um, yeah. No, nobody uh, trusts this guy Cable, who seemed to show up out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And Cable has all these big guns, so it's much more violent than X-Men and yeah. X-Factor have ever been. And so I think this really drives home. It's an important issue to have because it shows us also uh, that this is why the New Mutants split up. Not everyone was on board with the the, the path that, that X-Force was taking, and so that's why Rain left. Uh, there are other reasons, mm -hmm. but that's kind of one of the reasons as well. Yeah, yeah I, I really like that. I think this issue, it, it deals with big issues, both real-world issues and also Marvel Universe issues. And it has a lot of great character beats, and it has some fun action scenes as well. So, But a lot of it's just kind of set up for where we're going, because mm -hmm. the excitement's just getting started here. Right. Oh, and I love that they uh, they try to pull Strife through <laughs> through this portal here. Like the yeah, and then they, yeah, and they get his glove. Get his glove. Yeah, and that's just funny to me because like Strife always appears as this big, huge, menacing figure. Right, he just stands looming over everything. But it's like they the comedy of them trying to pull Strife through the portal with the other guys got, holding onto Strife's legs on the other side and they're doing this like tug of war back and forth <laughs> through the portal it's just very yeah. very funny to me it, it it works well it's great great comedy i think because that's what this mm -hmm. book is trying to do is is keep it light 
Yeah. <laughs> Even when there's conversations about abortion. Yeah, and I I love the uh, Mutant Liberation Front, you know, the, them talking about, should, should we just let him go? <laughs> and then like... <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll be mad. He'll kill us. I, I don't know. Yeah, and it's all uh, we got to pull him through before the portal closes, and he's cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. And strife. You know, has always. I mean, I I know I've read the all the X Force issues of this era where strife is like more of a major part, but he he seemed to just you know stand there and look cool. He didn't really do much, if I remember correctly. But yeah, well, at this and, point, he is a very very mysterious character, right? Like uh, yeah. he's just kind of popped yeah. up on the scene. Nobody knows anything about him, and I wonder if even Peter David didn't really know anything about him. But he. You know, what, whoever, right. Bob Harris in their um, meetings about what's coming up in the X-Books down the road, they're like, oh, yeah, Stripe's going to be a big player in this crossover that all of you are a part of. So maybe drop some hints that this is coming up in your book. And Peter David's like, I don't know anything about Stripe, so I'll just have him standing in the corner there, <laughs> which could also be why he used that character in comedy, like pulling through the portal, because mm -hmm. maybe if he had a better grasp on who the character is, he would be like, no, this this doesn't work for, for Strife. We can pull, we can do a tug of war with any other character here, any of the nasty boys or the mutant liberation front, but Strife's kind of the yeah. guy that, sh that shouldn't have happened to, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was still funny yeah. though. Okay, moving on. Yep, moving on. Issue 78, titled uh, Playing With Fire. Well, we, we sort of covered about what this issue uh, is about, talking about the previous one, but th this is specifically where the uh, Mutant Liberation Front is going to kill that doctor. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of stepped on your toes, yeah, when I was talking about the last one, because they weren't at the point when they were going to kill the doctor in the last issue. That's this issue for right. sure. Yeah. yeah, and they do end up killing the doctor, and all the guys, all the, the bad guys getting away free, but... This is an interesting point for Rain as well. She's been going through sort of a transformation of her character ever since... Uh, what was happening in the Middle East when she killed the person because her rage just took over. And so at this point, she ne she needs to make a decision. Does she save the doctor who is going to be responsible for killing many unborn mutants? Or is she going to, you know, do what the her government boss tells her to do and save the person? And she struggles with that idea. In the end, she lets the guy die by not getting involved. Oh no, she does. Mm -hmm. Sorry, she she. That's not exactly true. She does. She comes across him and he's already dead. But then she has to make the decision of whether or not she takes all of the research and takes that to the government so the research can be um, continued and she decides to destroy the computer and destroy the research. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, another heavy topic. And it's it's interesting how they how Peter David continuously balances his humor with these heavy situations because there are some funny moments in here as well, especially with, with Strong Guy. He seems to definitely be the most of the comic relief out of everybody, but everyone seems to have their mm -hmm. little quips and funny things that they say. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. In between Rain finding the, the, the doctor and him dying, but him saying like, oh, the the computer, they, they need my research. You take my research to the government or whatever. Yeah. And then there's the panel of her just staring at the computer. But then the next page is the Mutant Liberation Front uh, escaping and the porthole closing on one dude's leg and his leg gets cut <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and Multiple Man has a great one-liner at the end there. Uh, I knew we wanted to dismantle the MLF, but there has to be a more efficient way than piecemeal. Yeah, great comment. <laughs> and that's what I mean by balancing, because he, he keeps the tension light through scenes like that. He keeps things from getting too heavy, even though we're talking about heavy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this issue also is half penciled by Stroman and half penciled by Brandon Peterson. And I think that this is kind of the beginning of the end for Larry Stroman, who seems to be slowly coming off of this book. I say slow yeah. because it's going to take a few issues before he's totally gone, but um, right. he only he only does half an issue here. But I think he does do the, the final page. Yep, yep, he yeah. does the final page. Yeah, he kind of does first half, and then it gets handed over around, let me see here, what page is this? Once, there's a big splash page with the Mutant Liberation Front, and I think that's Brendan Peterson, and then moving forward, those pages. Well, actually, maybe it's just a couple of pages that's Brendan Peterson. One, two, yeah, actually, it might just be the the, the maybe the last six pages. Mm-hmm. Because that picture, yeah, strong guy. So page 267, when uh, Polaris throws... What's the woman with the helmet? I can't remember her name. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. There's so many. Okay. That's one thing I want. Tempo. I, uh, what? Tempo. Yeah, that's right. Tempo, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I was going to bring up at some point in this episode is that there are so many just like no name, not no name, but D-level characters that just show up and no one remembers them. There's so many. There's because there's the Nasty <laughs> Boys. There's this group here, the Mutant Liberation Front, and then we're going to meet like the the female assassins or whatever they are. The <laughs> later on, right, right. there's seven of them, and also the the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I know those ones are a little bit more well known, but it's like all of these really lame characters show up in <laughs> X Factor. So strange. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Sorry, I was saying when Polaris throws Tempo into a tree, that's the that's the, I think that's the first Brendan Peterson page actually, and then the next yeah. four or five pages are all his, and then Stroman does the last page. I think that's right. Okay, next in this epic collection, we have X Factor Annual, and there are three stories in here. We'll tackle all of them one at a time. The first one is called Shattershot Part Three: The Historians of Tales to Come. Written by Fabian Nicieza and penciled by Joe Quesada with inks by Joe Rubenstein. So Joe Quesada is someone who's going to be taking over the art chores on this book in a little while. So this is kind of like his his uh, his test to see if he can do it, maybe or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or if if you know when the job came open, they're just like, oh, he did a good job on the annual. We should get him. Yeah, exa- yeah, you're right. That's that could be the case. And he does. You can yeah. see it's his it's his signature style, and um, mm-hmm. it's exciting. And it's not actually a far departure from Strowman. It's a little bit more classic and not as stylized, but it's it's still different enough that I wouldn't call it a you know a standard Marvel artist. Right. Um, I feel like, especially in this first splash page with Mojo, that he's kind of in the the Todd McFarlane school of composition and detail and such, but not as flashy as Todd mm-hmm. McFarlane is, but trying to be. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Something yeah, like that. I, I see it. So this is an interesting story because this is part three of an annual crossover that crosses over all of the X titles at the time. So... But it's also just kind of a standalone story. It has characters that have a theme that kind of uh, go through the annuals, but 
the story gets passed off in a way that we don't have to have read the previous um, parts to this, and we don't have to even read the conclusion. As far as X-Factor is concerned, the, the entire X-Factor story is contained within this annual. Yeah. Uh, and the tale is this. Um, it's, it's a story about Mojo sending Spiral to take care of this this character, like to try, try and kill this character who's um, going to, um, like, he's, he's going to give Mojo's TV show bad reviews. <laughs> is that what it is here? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, also this uh, this guy, Arise, he sort of had been engineering some of the, the people in Mojo world. Like, he, he's he's the reason why spiral has six arms and right 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 yeah yeah so spiral's going to go take him out and she's angry about all of this because it's kind of ruined her life it's interesting to me i admit to not fully caring about this annual because it's part three so maybe just skimming through it which is why i'm missing the nuance of of the plot here (laughs) but (laughs) what i did like about it is uh, because spiral was part of the freedom force right and so they actually have a connection to val cooper and so we get to to confront them and kind of bring a little bit of conclusion to to their relationship in this issue here and it is interesting to me to learn about spiral's history because i don't think i ever really knew where she came from or I think maybe I attributed all of her arms to just the fact that she's a mutant. Right. But yeah, very interesting to see that. Interesting to see this Arise character as well. He obviously um, has some sort of connection to Longshot because he's got three fingers and a thumb, just like Longshot does. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really get to get any conclusion of that. I think that all of that's in the X-Force annual, which I have not read. Isn't it in um, Volume 1? Man, I don't remember that story at all. And it's probably because I didn't get invested in that either because it was just the the fourth part of the story. <laughs> I really should read all of them together to see if I can get a good sense of what's going on here. Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible issue to read. It just I didn't care for it. No, yeah. Right. I I mean also I've I've never really been a big fan of Mojo World. <laughs> yeah. And that that stuff it I don't know. So I I mean I I get it. <laughs> yeah. It it's fine. Yeah. It's fine, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the curse of these annual stories is if you don't if you're not reading all of it, does it make sense? Is it worth reading just the one chapter? I appreciate them trying to make it somewhat self-contained, but um, yeah, you do feel like the threads that came before that are carrying through this uh, work against it a little bit. Right. Yeah, and I I don't think I've ever like I I know I have all of these annuals, but I don't think I ever read them. Oh, well, <laughs> or sat down and read them all. Yeah. Yeah. High time to do that. Yeah. There's some cool pinups in these issues here that by Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh There's one cool one after this first story of Quicksilver, and then there's another one of Strong Guy after the next story, and then um, and then I think actually I think that's it. Just the two pinups. Uh, oh no no no. There's one mm-hmm. pinup at the very end by Steve Lealoha of Havoc and Wolfsbane. So yeah, I yeah. like that. I like the inclusion of those. That's kind of fun. Uh, do you want to talk about the second story? Sure. Yeah, it's second story. Is a lot of fun called Drowning in Paperwork, and it's basically a Val Cooper story. Yeah, like she's the government liaison, she has to do all this paperwork, and there's you know tons of it on her desk. 
but she's want has tickets to go to a, a Motown show that evening. But she gets a phone call from the president in quotes, <laughs> yeah. uh, telling her that she needs to get all this paperwork done before she, because that's the good thing. But turns out that was just Jamie putting on a voice so he could take the tickets. <laughs> but anyway, and of course she finds out at the end and ends with him or with her uh chasing him with scissors <laughs> yeah, yeah but there's a dream sequence yeah it's it's fun it's totally fun yeah yeah the dream sequence is is the best part of course because that's where you know the paper comes to life and it's trying to kill her or whatever and and uh, right, right. Derek yeah. robertson is the 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 penciler on this kind of early i think in his career he doesn't really get more of a feature until he was on wolverine later right mm. um but yeah, so he does some really cool stuff with the paper and it coming to life. Monsters made out of paper. And, and it's just a yeah. short, what is it, six or eight pages or something like that. But it's a fun little sure. ride. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then the last story in here is called Cal and Guido. And uh, the, the font is definitely, and the look of Cal is definitely, uh, is playing to the Calvin and Hobbes font and the, the, mm-hmm. the style of his his hair and stuff like that and you even see Hobbs on the splash page uh on the shirt of one of the guys in the background right <laughs> so this is a story about a little kid who's being bullied and goes to strong guy and hires him as his bodyguard and at first they just want to try and uh, shake down the bad guys and and like make them make them afraid so they'll leave Cal alone. But I love the little twist here that Cal ends up t- using that that power, using the fact that he knows Strong Guy to bully the bullies. And, and Strong Guy's like, no, 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 I'm not having any of this. What the heck are you doing? He says, um, you can't yeah. steal their money. You can't be the bully just because, you know, you, you know me or don't let the power go to your head. It's a great little story here. And I appreciate Strong Guy's character of wanting to help the kid. But then also, you know, holding the kid accountable for uh, being a good person in the end as well. So, yeah, a good it's just a good, fun, short story that shows us that uh, Strong Guy, even though he's all fun, fun and games and he, he laughs a lot and stuff like that, he, he his moral compass is good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love the, the final Cal's final line, which could be, you know, the final line of a Cal, Calvin and Hobbes strip where nobody appreciates men of vision. Totally. Yes. <laughs> it's very in line with what Calvin would say. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> also worth noting that this issue is drawn by Joe Madrera. Mm-hmm. This has got to be pretty early in his career as well, because, uh, we're quite a ways from Age of Apocalypse still at this point, but here right. he is doing a little backup for an annual, and his style is pretty different. I think it reminds me of, um, oh man, who's the guy that does? Is it? I think it's the Pit that I'm thinking of. Um, Dale, is it? That's is that Dale Keown that goes and does Pit? Anyway, the the way that he draws the kid in this with the huge eyes and the huge ears reminds me of some kid in an image book that came out in the '90s, and I think it might be Pit. I I should actually okay. look it up and find out for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 good. He does a good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's it for our annual. It has the crossover story, which is mediocre and a couple of fun backups. But the whole thing is maybe not much to write home about. It's fun for a little diversion, but I'm far more interested, of course, in the actual book and what's happening there. Right. This issue number 79, titled Rhapsody in Blue. Well, basically, the the meat of this issue is Multiple Man and Quicksilver getting sent on a mission to investigate a 
female mutant who may or may not have killed some guy. So they're tracking her down. And by the end of the issue, it is unclear whether or not she is guilty of, of murder or not. Right. Yeah. But also, during the course of the issue, Polaris is like out shopping and she gets sucker punched by a guy with a metal hand who we don't see. Yeah, that's going to play out big time in the coming issues here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this issue is drawn by Jim Fern. And let me tell you, it is not great. <laughs> it it does seem yeah. quite more amateur than what we have come to expect from this title with uh, with Strowman on. I'm not sure what happened to Larry, but he's he's gone this month. He couldn't finish last yeah. month, and he's gone this month. Maybe he was sick or on vacation or something, but we have a fill-in artist, and it doesn't... Man, it's just not great. Yeah. But I do like the concept here of trying to come to the defense of this, this mutant who is just a music teacher. Peter David is doing a lot in this book to show the different types of prejudice that mutants are facing mm-hmm. from, you know, especially you know, we just talked a lot about abortion simply because they're mutants. So this woman, when she, her powers manifested, uh, they call her a late bloomer because she was in her 20s when her mutant powers showed herself. It turned her skin blue and the parents complained. The teachers fired her just because her skin was blue. Right. And that's not right. It doesn't doesn't matter that she was, you know, good at her job or whatever. And it, through the through this issue, we find out also that her power is to alter people's emotional state when she plays music. And mm-hmm. all she wants to do is make people happy. And so she tries to show that to, to Jamie, to, to Multiple Man. And he is entered into this kind of dreamlike state where, you know, they make love in a field or something. And... Uh, and just to show him what she is capable of, how she's capable of, of making people happy. And it's that's going to come into play because they sort of start a little relationship here. But yeah. uh, the woman in question gets arrested, and we don't get the conclusion to this story here because they have to move on to a new mission. But I, I mentioned that I like that, that Peter David is dealing with these mutant issues, but I also like that they're kind of like jumping from case to case quite rapidly. It's like... We just got off of the other case, and we're being mm-hmm. thrown into this one. In fact, we're still wrapping up at the beginning of this issue, the fallout with the, you know, tampering with the computer that had the research on it. Right. And now we're jumping right into this case. And even before this case is finished, we have another case that's come up where they have to protect a mutant who is supposed to be testifying against a German drug cartel. So it's, uh, it's, it's like the team has to juggle a whole bunch of things all at once. And none of them have to do with any big, huge, scary mutants like Magneto or or Apocalypse. <clears throat> it's all small cases that they're dealing with. I think that's right. kind of cool. It's just a refreshing change from the big end-of-the-world X-Men situations that we get in the other books. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you could say that it's that's kind of always been the case with X-Factor, because if we think about what X-Factor was doing when it first started with issue number one, when Cyclops and the gang were posing as mutant hunters, they were tackling those small cases as well. Right. It just so happened that Apocalypse entered the scene pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they're like flying to different uh 
going to different planets and yep. stuff. And then it's too, like an so. X-Men book. So this is kind of bringing it back to the core of what X-Factor kind of was trying to do way back in the 80s. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it kind of fits with the, you know, the premise of this being a, a government team that, you know, maybe, you know, the big end of the world stuff isn't always going on, but they're um, a mutant who may have killed somebody in Maine. <laughs> Like, hey, let's go investigate that. That's that seems, you know, because I, I, it sort of feels like, you know, maybe this is the mutant equivalent of the FBI. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I do like that, and that they're not tied down to one city or anything. They they kind of get sent to wherever the problem is. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of their stuff does take take place in small towns, and you know, not New York, not uh, Times Square. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad that Peter David is a strong writer because, with the artwork being what it is, if we even had a mediocre writer, I wouldn't have been interested in this issue at all, uh, because the art is not engaging. But because the themes are strong and the jokes are still there and the dialogue is interesting, um, it's still an enjoyable read. Yeah. And with that, we can go over to X Factor number 80. And the title of this one isn't doesn't come up until a couple pages in here. It's called Bells and Whistles. I really like this opening. It fits with how f- yeah. how fun Peter David likes to be. We are introduced to Rain's World, which a sign of the times. Right. Wayne's World, the movie, was very popular at the time, and yep. so we're seeing uh, we're seeing it here. The, the pop culture references yeah. as uh, Rain has a dream sequence that she's in. She has a show called Rain's World, and her part her partner and it is Alex, and they have a special guest Polaris. And then the brood comes through the window and attacks, <laughs> and she wakes up. <laughs> so yeah, I just did an episode about New Mutants, the Demon Bear Saga uh, epic collection. Uh-huh. And one of the issues in the last half begins with a dream sequence like this, where Rain is in a fairy tale kind of world. It's playing off of the Disney movie uh, Sleeping Beauty. And the, the it starts off really nice. It's a magical world and she's having a good time. And then the dream turns into a nightmare where like things are coming to life and trying to, trying to eat her. It plays out very similar right. to this dream here. So I'm sure that this is a callback to that classic issue that came yeah. like, you know, several years before. By, it was by Chris Claremont. Yeah. So I, I like that. I think that's a nice, a nice thing to show that, you know, Rain is, it's still part of her character to have these types of dreams and be very playful right. in that sense but then also be being scared and having some inner demons. And I also have to say that th- this issue is how I realized how to pronounce rain. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, cause, but before reading reading it, uh, I was always thinking like Ronnie or, you know, right. something like that. But then Rain's World, yeah. of course. <laughs> Rain's World, yeah. Like, oh, okay, there it is. That there makes sense. Is. That does make sense. That's funny. In the credits, it says that the Rain's World idea, the gag, was suggested by Myra David. And I'm assuming that is Peter David's daughter, or is it his wife? I can't remember. Um, I think think it's his daughter. I think so, too. I can't remember what his wife's name is, but yeah. Okay, so this issue, uh, we see Polaris in the hospital. She, her her jaw was hit so bad that it has to be wired shut in order to, for it to heal. So that's a pretty big whack that uh, that she took there. Um, Larry Stroman is back on artwork, so we get him uh, doing his thing here, and he does some really cool panel layouts and 
and poses and such. So I'm glad that maybe he just needed that extra time to regroup and come back full form because he does that. Uh, this issue deals with a couple of different things. One of them is Quicksilver and Jamie uh, dealing with Rhapsody, the, this blue woman who can control people's emotions through music, or in fact, even kind of take control of them through music. Yeah. Uh, and then the other half is the team, the rest of the team in a safe house protecting this woman whose mutant name is Shrew. And uh, because they know that the rest of her gang, the Hell's Bells, are going to try to kill her so that she isn't a snitch. Uh, and then by the end of the episode, we, or sorry, by the end of the issue, we find out that the Hell's Bells are being led by none other than Cyber. Cyber, who is a fairly new character still in the Marvel Universe, to the point where X-Factor has never heard of him before. Right. Yeah, his is the big steel arm, the big steel hand that we right. saw knock out Polaris in the previous issue. Yeah, the end of this issue has cyber uh, poisoning strong guy. Right. Yeah, that's going to play up big in the next couple of issues here. Um, what do you think of all these characters, Hell's Bells? They're, I, I don't know, I, I feel like they're sort of the least interesting mutant foes that we've we've gotten so far. Yeah. You know, com even compared to the nasty boys and the mutant liberation front they're all women which uh i guess is novel but yeah i don't know they're not they're <laughs> not interesting yeah i mean they didn't make really a big point of distinguishing them their, their characters or anything like that they all have you know their power set and just kind of do their thing yeah they're just about as interesting as the nasty boys or the mutant liberation front which is not that interesting yeah. but this is what i was talking about uh, like there's just so many characters just d-list characters that we never see again in this book i mean i don't know if we never see them again but they certainly don't make a splash that's for sure yeah i, I actually looked it up that the these hell's bells they appeared you know in these couple two or three issues and then they didn't appear again until this past year. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody brought him back in in one of the one of the X books. Wow. Okay. There you go. I have no idea what they did because I haven't read it. But <laughs> amazing. Well. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh boy, I can't even imagine. Like, quick, we got to find some characters that we haven't seen in a long time. How would you even remember that these ones exist? Through all... they must have just read this epic collection recently. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, let's see what happens to Hell's Bells in the next issue. Yeah. Well, not much. I mean, <laughs> they, they, they fight and then they lose. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess the, the big thing is strong guy sort of freaking out that he's been poisoned and he want he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to die. Uh, it was part of Cyber's plan to, you know, poison this guy and tell him like, okay, give up the shrew who who they've been guarding. Uh, give her up so you can get the the antidote. Yeah, yeah. I think the best scene of the issue is where Havoc appears to drink the the poison. So he's uh, so he and Strong Guy are in the same boat. Totally. That was definitely the most interesting part for me, too. I think Peter David's strengths definitely lie in in these conversations. Like, sure, he can mm -hmm. he, he does some nice plots and his dialogue, his, his comedy is fine. But when we get into these hard topics, he seems to pull one out in each issue, it seems. And in this issue, it's 
Yeah, the it's strong guy wrestling with the fact that he doesn't want to die. And it's like, why yeah. is her life worth more than me? She's a, a bad person and I'm a good person. Why aren't you why aren't you doing more things to help me? And he's not thinking of trying to come up with solutions that work out both ways, but He's like, come on, people, aren't you on my side? And it's a good, good question. And, and they wrestle with that. And it's like, well, do, yeah, should we hand her over? Or what's our responsibility? Who do we answer to? And, uh, oh, and also he doesn't want to take the antidote because it is untested. Uh, he doesn't want right. to be the guinea pig. Like, what if that makes his problem worse? What if it kills him right then and there? Yeah. It would make more sense to, to get rid of Shrew and get the actual antidote from, from Cyber. You know, not, and that, that doesn't even say like, does, cyber actually have an antidote or is it actually an antidote or you know all of this kind of stuff wrestles with some good questions but i like alex's leadership here because <laughs> we haven't really seen alex be a great leader in terms of like talking people down off the ledge like he is here so this right. is the first time i think we've seen him really step up and do more than just command action um, he's actually taking the steps that a leader should take to gain the trust of the people who are looking up to him. Very nice. Yeah. Nicely done. And also, you know, since strong guy got his got his name, like every time it's brought up, Alex says like, oh, that's such a stupid name. Yeah. Until this issue where this is the first issue. He just drank the poison and he's going to take the antidote. And but he hands it to him after you, strong guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't notice that. But you're right. Like treating his name with respect in that conversation at that moment is a very important thing to do. So very cool. Yeah. Nice. Right. Oh man. And another plot here that starts up, a boat comes into a dock and it's carrying refugees from Genosha, which Genosha had a huge um, political upheaval in the, in the extinction agenda, which just happened a few issues back. Uh, not an ex Factor. Well, yeah, it was part of X Factor. Yeah, it was yeah. part of X. Factor. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but yeah, it, so these refugees are coming. But then the you know American F government is saying you have no paperwork, you have no visas, you can't be here. You have to turn around and go back where you came from. But they're like, are you kidding? We're not going back to Genosha. It's terrible there. And they're like, no, 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 we fixed mm -hmm. the problem. Honest, we fixed the problem. Everything's good there. Very interesting yeah. take on. Uh, refugees and and what you do with them and of course because the refugees are mutants the um, x factor is going well i guess they don't step until the next issue so maybe we can just move on to the next right. issue do you have anything more you want to say about this one well we should probably say that the this issue wraps up the the rhapsody storyline oh yeah and, right of course uh, that she did in fact kill the guy didn't intend to but she she was using her uh, mutant power to, you know, affect him, and he ended up dying from it. Because this was the guy who was leading the charge to fire her from the school board. And right. so she wanted to show this guy that her powers were actually good. So she wanted to make him, like, give him a euphoric state to, to, to you know, show him how, how happy he can feel. But he felt so happy that his heart stopped and he died. <laughs> so unexpected consequences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she actually did do it and now has to, to face time. And Jamie was the one who realized that. So good moment for Jamie as well, because he can overcome mm -hmm. the, the trance that Rhapsody had on him in order to see the real picture here. But yeah, unfortunate for Rhapsody because she honestly didn't want that to happen. But you call that manslaughter, I guess, right? Right. And also, uh, you know, rereading the storyline, it sort of reminded me of, well, you know, 
15 years later or whatever it is when it's the X factor investigations with, with Jamie yep. solving crimes as a private eye. Right. And it, it almost feels this is sort of the start of that. Yeah. But, yeah I think so. Yeah. So is this the last Stroman issue? This, this is the final Stroman issue. Yeah. He goes out with a bang with a nice fight scene and such. Sad to see him go. That's a very short run for him. And because we got the fill-in issues and such, I just wonder if he couldn't keep up the schedule or what exactly was going on here. But sad to see him go Yeah, for this team that he helped define right at the beginning. Yeah. I know he went on to uh, do an image book like at right, right about this time. I don't recall oh, what book okay. it was. but That would make sense then because this is the exodus of the image crew is happening right yeah. around this time yeah yeah so i guess yeah yeah he's moving over to greener pastures or so it seems i hope he had success i have to right. i'll have to look it up to see what he did uh okay so next yeah. issue here issue number 82 we get an issue from who's the artist here is it it's rurik tyler a name that i just don't know at all he's not bad definitely more amateur than we are Used to again, yeah. It, it's mediocre again. It's not. It's not great, but it's not terrible either. <laughs> uh, so, oh yeah. yeah, we we actually in the last episode we wrapped up the whole plot with with the Hell's Bells as well. Um, right. So Shrew is safe. She is. Uh, uh, she's going to testify, and everything worked out. And strong guys like, oh yeah, I guess I should have trusted you guys after all. He learned his lesson. So in this one, at the very beginning of this issue, we get have uh, we get multiple man being reamed out by Val over what happened with Rhapsody, um, that he was kind of taking matters into his own hands and harassing the people who were holding her, and like he shouldn't have done that. And Alex steps in and says, that's enough. If you have a problem with my subordinates, you need to take it up with me uh, since I'm their leader. Which, again, here's another instance of Alex being a good leader and doing more than just being a field leader. Like, he's actually going to bat for, for, his, for his team. So I like that. I like to see that come out a little bit more. Uh, gives him a little bit better of a, of a of a story arc if he is um, if he's growing in that role, uh, but this issue is called "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay" or "Sitting by the Dock of the Bay." There's actually a lot of music titles in these in this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, sitting by the dock of the bay. This issue deals with the refugees who are on this ship at the dock, not allowed off of their boat. And the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are the only ones who are willing to help them out. And I love it. It's like they, their response is, well, why would we want help from a group that has the word evil in their names? And Toad's just like, no, 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 that's a, that's sarcastic. It's supposed to like, you know, be ironic or whatever. <laughs> but, right. Sure um, it is. <laughs> yep, yep. And they're partnered with Sarin, which is an odd combination. Uh, Sarin, who was just in the pages of X-Force not too long ago, but he's here for some reason. Not sure why. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the Blob and Pyro, who was part of Freedom Force as well. He's here again. So another tie to Freedom Force. They've all kind of gone back to where they were before. And I, what I really like about this is that there's a confrontation uh, between Toad and Quicksilver. And Quicksilver and Toad are both founding members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants way back in X-Men number four, way back in the 60s. Yeah. 
And so to see them kind of back together again and show especially Quicksilver's progression as a character, um, very nice to see. I like that scene a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, Polaris is back, and I don't know. This this issue is just kind of one big fight with the evil mutants, and it just kind of is setting the stage for X Factor to be more involved in uh, dealing with these refugees. Another scene worth talking about is uh, with Rain fighting Sauron, and he meant Sauron mentions that he killed Sam Cannonball. Right. Rain kind of loses control yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, I like how she's trying to keep it a secret from all of her team as well. She doesn't really want yeah. any of them to know that she's losing control or that bad things are happening. Um, so it's interesting to watch her, her character, and her the development of her arc here. Okay, you want to go on to the last issue? Yeah, issue number 83, final issue in this book, uh, called uh, Painting the Town. Oh, just Painting the Town. Painting the town yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pencils by uh, Mark Pacella. Yep. I think is uh, better than the the previous couple fill-ins that we've had. Yes, he is better. He's kind of a um, he's a little bit of a Rob Liefeld clone. Yeah, I feel a lot of Rob Liefeld vibes off of his art, and then um, Al Milgram has been the consistent inker of all of these guys, including Stroman, uh, through all of these issues. Yeah. So there's a I mean it doesn't provide any consistency, unfortunately, but but he's still there. Right. And so this this issue X Factor they they take the mutant ex uh, refugees who are <laughs> have been called the expatriates they take them around around the town just to to see what it's what it's like I mean to get a taste of America while it's decided that they will actually have to go back to Genosha right and you know this is a more character focused issue than. Uh, some of the previous ones. There's not really big fights. Yeah, but it, it's sort of vignettes of, of each of the members with uh, different refugees. Yeah, I actually liked that. I thought it was kind of nice. Again, yeah. Peter David is, is great at bringing out those character moments, so to have a whole issue of that is really nice. And then we also get just, a you know, learning more about uh, the refugee situation. And, you know, they... They fled when stuff was going down in Genosha, and they haven't been back since. And so they don't know. They're not going to take the word of, of you know, the American people that, uh, the American government, that the situation has been resolved. They're sticking to their guns. I'm wondering if this issue was even kind of on the schedule. It might have been a last-minute addition. I wonder if Executioner's Song had to be delayed by a month or something like that. Because the next issue blurb in the previous issue says, Next, Expatriates, Exiles, and X-Force. There's, uh, yeah. there's no X-Force in this next issue here, in issue 83. Yeah. That next issue blurb makes me think that Executioner's Song was supposed to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it was going to be delayed, so they had to put one more issue of X-Factor in here. So we have this fill-in issue where nothing major happens. Um, they're, they just have to, like, if you remove this issue completely and just start Executioner's Song, it would be fine. Mm -hmm. Because they're supposed to be going to Genosha. They're, they're supposed to be heading there. So it's like we have to have a whole issue of them getting ready to head, head there. <laughs> well, and, and, and they, don't, they don't actually get to Genosha till you know, well after uh, Executioner's Song. Yeah. 
we do get le- I guess the one thing that um that does happen is the cliffhanger in this one where the one the one of the refugees is met and here's some more political stuff for you that is met by yeah. the uh people in I don't know where they are in like Central Park or something like that and they they beat him with a baseball bat and I don't know if it seems like he's probably going to die but that's definitely probably an allusion to a lot of the gay bashing that was happening in the early 90s you right. know, when homosexuality yeah. was when when coming out of the closet was more was becoming more of a natural thing it was you know this was the era of the aids epidemic and such um, a more commonplace <clears throat> more commonplace thing so yeah i think that we're dealing with another another kind of rip from the headline story here yeah 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 well and even genosha itself was sort of i think based on south africa at the time ah yeah yeah with the apartheid for sure yep right yeah you know and and you know the political nature of refugees trying to enter the country which is you know still a still a hot button topic for sure Yeah. yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's actually quite amazing how political this this run is. I didn't realize that going in here, but the, Peter David tackles like every big issue you could talk of, you could think of. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. That's kind of all we have for our issues today. Is there anything you wanted to anything else you wanted to say about this issue here? Um Oh, we do have to address number 1 fan. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> One of the most ridiculous comics pages of all time. Yes, I think. I think so too. (laughs) Yeah, the number one fan. He's giving a villain's monologue speech where he's revealed as he's the younger brother of of Vic Chalker, who you know tried to make that that overpowered suit and died a few issues ago. This guy's name is Rick Chalker. (laughs) Rick Chalker. Yeah. The number one fan, and it's revealed that he replaced his hands with giant fan blades. Razor sharp fan blades. Razor sharp, yeah. (laughs) But then he realizes he can't can't open the door because he doesn't have hands anymore. And since he made his lair impenetrable, (laughs) he, he, he slaps his head and, you know, a little box that says... Oh, well, since he <laughs> changed his hands to razor-sharp razor blades, it ended up killing him. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> he slaps his head yeah. out of frustration and ends up dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I, I, I love the storyline, and I it must be building to something, right? Like, do you know what this is building to? Yes, I do. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I don't know at all, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to see where this is going. This is going to be just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, oh man <laughs> so yeah i have to wait till the next epic <laughs> yeah okay well there we go that's our episode uh, there are some bonus features in the back here some sketches from from stroman concept art uh variant covers and and um collection covers and of course because this is the early 90s we have selections from the marvel swimsuit special one yep. of polaris <laughs> And two of Val Cooper. Apparently, she got she gets she's popular enough to have two pinups in the swimsuit issue. Right there, you go. And then there's uh, something new and exclusive to the Epic Collection. Here we have an afterword from Ralph Macchio talking about how much he loves this era of X Factor. Um, not there's no any like real interesting revealing information. Though I do like his comment here 
saying that his perception of Larry Stroman's art style is that it contains elements of two pencilers who preceded him on this series, Wills Portacio and Walt Simonson. And I think that's actually a good description of Larry Stroman, a combination of Wills yeah. Portacio and, and Walter Simonson. Very interesting. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I really like those those afterwards when they when they show up in these books. Yeah. Yeah, Ralph Macchio seems to do he well, he did quite a few of them at a time. I haven't seen him do any in any of the recent releases, so I don't know if he stopped doing them or what, but yeah, yeah. you get him. And there we have it. That's our episode. Um the next volume, the next X Factor volume, Epic Collection has the first few issues of the Executioner's Song storyline. It doesn't com- it doesn't include all of the parts. It only includes the X Factor chapters. So what I suggested we do next and we'll do this next week is move over to X-Force Volume 2, which does have the entire Executioner Song storyline included in it. So I'm going to invite Jared back, along with two other people, because this is a crossover storyline. We'll have a crossover co-host episode as well. So we'll have a few people represented, and we will tackle um, the the Executioner Song storyline in the next episode. So sounds good. Yeah, I think that should be fun. Uh, Thanks, Jared, again for hanging out with me and talking comics, talking X Factor. Had a good time here. Yeah, yeah, anytime. And I hope all of you listeners had a good time as well. And you can check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on YouTube. And if you search for Epic Collections on Facebook, you can find my special Epic Collection Facebook group, and we will be uh, talking about all the new Epic Collections that are announced. But that's all we have for today. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next time. Yep, have a good one. Bye.